Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Welcome to the Motor City Hoops Podcast, your home for all things Detroit Pistons and NBA. Thank you for choosing Motor City Hoops, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome to episode 77 of the Motor City Hoops podcast. If you are new to the Motor City Hoops podcast, I am your host, Bryce Simon, a former D1 Hooper, current teacher, coach, husband, father of three amazing kids, and contributor at Detroit Bad Boys of SB Nation. We hope everyone listening had a joyous, healthy, and happy holiday with family and friends. We also want to thank you for tuning into the podcast during this holiday season and as our Pistons continue to struggle as COVID has hit the organization. But as always, we are here to bring you energetic, high-quality Pistons and NBA content, and we brought on my favorite guest to do it, a guy I appreciate so much for his willingness to come on the podcast, his availability for Pistons conversation and the great coverage he brings all of us fans. Back for the third time, Detroit Pistons beat writer for the Detroit Free Press, Omari Sankofa. Omari, welcome back and thank you for joining us again. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. As you mentioned, I believe this is the third time and uh, I feel like a lot's happened since the last time I was on a couple months ago. So it'll be good to kind of review all the happenings around the the Pistons and the league right now. Uh, It's a pretty crazy time, of course. It is, it is. And uh, yeah, it wasn't too long ago we had you on, I think just a little, uh, a month or so. So yeah, a lot has changed. And before we preview this episode, I want to encourage you to go check out the Detroit Bad Boy website where I drop my Cade Cunningham December breakdown on Sunday and we'll have a Luca Garza breakdown coming up in the next few days. But on today's episode, we'll talk about the aforementioned COVID outbreak within the Pistons organization and the players that have been brought in to take those minutes. We'll of course talk about Cade Cunningham like we do every episode, as well as the history of back-to-back top five selections and which iteration of this Pistons restoration has been more fun to cover for Amari. We also ask a couple mailbag questions specifically for Amari and play our favorite game, Sheet or Sham, to close out the episode. But before we get into anything, I have to ask, how was your holiday? Where did you spend it? Because I did see some interesting food tweets from you on Christmas Day that I want to hear you talk about a little bit. So how did you spend your holiday? Yeah, so I got home from uh, Miami. The Pistons played Miami last Thursday, obviously, and I uh, got a, a later flight back. It was a 4 p.m. flight. Uh, got back into Detroit, uh, 7.30 p.m. Christmas Eve. Uh, so that was nice just to be able to soak up a little bit more sun uh, before heading back to the uh, the uh, tundra up here in Michigan, although it was actually like 50 degrees on Christmas, so it actually wasn't that cold. Uh, but still, and uh, yeah, it was a pretty low key Christmas. Just spending it with the family. Uh, you know, my parents. You know, they still stay on the west side of Detroit. So brother and sister were home. So that was cool. And uh, the food suite you're referring to. Uh, yes, my <laughs> my auntie 
uh, she makes uh, chitlins every every uh, Christmas. And my family is from the south. My dad's side actually is from uh, Birmingham, Alabama, and uh, yeah, you know she you know still makes uh, chitlins every year. That's a uh, yeah, I guess I'll call it a black Southern delicacy that I never really acquired to taste for because <laughs> I didn't grow up with it. Uh, but beyond that, it was good. You know, saw some of the extended family. Um, you know, still kept it kind of low key just because, you know, cases are surging right now. But um, it's definitely good to get back home for Christmas after uh, being mostly on the road over the last month or so. Okay, so and we'll get to the COVID stuff in just a second. You alluded to it there a little bit, but I, I got I, I don't know what chitlins are. Okay. Omari. So, and I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just, you know, I'm out here in Southwest Kansas and maybe I'm just, you know, haven't got out enough to know. Maybe, I, maybe there's got to be some other listeners who maybe don't know what those are. So can you explain those to me and any listeners who are in the same boat as me as far as what, what, what that food is? Sure. So I guess the, uh, the official uh, pronunciation of it, well, uh, you know, I guess the, the, the dictionary pronunciation I would say is uh, chitterlings. And they are made from the large intestines of a uh, pig, so it's just it's, it's pig guts basically. Oh, and, um, and it was, uh, you know, it's like a, it's just like a very kind of old school black southern dish. You know, obviously back in the day, uh, you know, black people just kind of had to, you know, make do with what they were given, and that was one of the many things. And it's still, uh, you know, pretty commonly, uh, you know, as, as far as I know, it's still something that is consumed in a lot of. Uh, black families, like my, my family, obviously, uh, so family members, I eat it. Uh, my family, direct family does not, uh, you know, my dad uh, was telling me that his dad loved it. You know, they just called him guts. You know, I want some guts. They don't, you know, my dad never really developed the uh, taste for it, but yeah, that's, that's what, what it is. Uh, it's definitely to be a food that, you know, if you didn't grow up with it, it's probably not something that you would eat, but, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's how I would describe it. It's just a black Southern delicacy that, uh, uh, you know, people still eat today, not be necessarily, but people still do. Got you. Got you. So um, I'm glad to hear that you were able to spend the holidays with some family and, and you know, close family and some friends. And, and again, I hope all of our listeners were able to do the same. I know Wes and I were able to, to travel a little bit and spend some time with our families and in-laws, but um, let, let's get into the COVID protocols. And, and I will say we haven't necessarily spent much time on Motor City Hoops talking about this, about COVID in general at all. It hasn't really hit the Pistons a ton. I, I do want to say, you know, all of our thoughts and everything are with everybody going through it, not just the Pistons or the NBA, um, you know, anybody. I know good friend of the show, Ku, has been tweeting out um, on Monday about the fact him and his girlfriend both are, have tested positive and they're feeling it a little bit. I had a close friend that, that lost a, a his mother this morning from COVID. So it's very much a real thing. And, and I don't want to be too somber about it, but I just, you know, all thoughts and prayers with everybody who's dealing with this. Um, but we will kind of keep it, you know, basketball and Pistons focused. What, what are your thoughts just right now as this continues to kind of wreak havoc on the Pistons organization for one, Omari, but the NBA, the NFL, college football and basketball games getting canceled, you know, bowl games. Um, what, what are your thoughts on how it's affecting the sports world again here in December? Sure. I mean, it's just kind of hit everybody like a wave all at once, it seems. Um, I know over 100 NBA players have entered protocols over, uh, for the vast vast majority of it's really over the last uh, couple of weeks or so. Um, and, you know, it just looks like the leagues at this point uh, just kind of just want to play through it. You know, I think the big difference between this year and last year, uh, even though cases are surging, is that, uh, you know, we do have vaccinations that are still working. You know, I mean, I st- stop you from testing positive, but, you know, it is highly effective in stopping you from getting sick. And, um, you know, I know the NBA is working with, 
you know, uh, you know, doctors and, and, uh, you know, health experts to figure out the best path forward. Uh, the league obviously is reluctant to shut down as he did last year. Uh, I remember Adam Silver saying uh, the collective bargaining agreement's not uh, built for a, a, a pandemic. And, you know, I don't think they want to leave that money on the table if they don't have to. Uh, I know we just saw Adrian Boznarowski report uh, really about a half hour ago that they reduced the isolation time for uh, boosted players from uh, 10 days to, to six days. And the science there just being that, uh, you know, boosted players or boosted people in general uh, clear the, the virus faster. Uh, so that's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, so obviously at the pissing extremely hard over the last week with eight players and health and safety protocols. So, uh, you know, very far from an ideal situation. The Pistons are the only team that's had, you know, multiple players in health and safety protocols. The Bulls got hit pretty hard by it. And uh, that Bulls-Pistons game that I suppose we played a couple of weeks ago was actually the first game of the season to be postponed. So, uh, I mean, that's where we're at right now. Uh, it's not ideal, but, um, you know, teams are tapping into their G League teams and calling players up, calling former players up. I know Brendan Knight and Anthony Tolliver are uh, on the rosters right now. And it's just a... So we're time for us worse, I guess I would say. Yeah, and I, I just also want to say, you know, just based on the decisions, because I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, well, why doesn't the NBA just, you know, take a pause? I've heard that talked about, and I know Adam Silver came on and talked about, you know, I work in an educational setting, so I, I don't make these decisions or haven't had to, but I've been around the people that have. My wife is a nurse, so she worked very closely, um, you know, with this and was actually in a position when COVID first started to have to make decisions. It's just, it's not easy decisions to make. And like you said, Omari, as we continue to get more education, more ways to fight it, you know the decisions and what is the right and wrong decisions change I don't know if there's ever a right or wrong decision but let's just move let's go ahead and move to the court now as you talked about you know multiple players out Cade Sadiq or sorry excuse me not Sadiq Stewart Killian Hayes Rodney Magruder down the list with the Pistons what have you seen on the court these last couple of games, let's start with the guys that, that were already playing. So the Hamadou Diallos, the Sadiq Bays, the Frank Jacksons. What have you seen from those guys that maybe you've liked or maybe don't like or anywhere in between from those guys that were on the roster that, that haven't gone into protocol? Sure. Uh, well, I think Hami and really over the last three weeks or so, we've seen Hami uh, kind of seize a spot in a rotation that he didn't have previously. Um, you know, he's just a guy who brings a lot of energy into the starting lineup. Uh, you know, he's an athlete. He's a downhill threat. Uh, you know, it's two things that I think this roster lacks. And, you know, I think, you know, especially on uh, Sunday, uh, you know, you have, you know, four cruise players in the rotation. Uh, you have a two-way guy, Jamarco Pickett, and then, uh, you know, the people's champ, Luca Garza, who had a pretty good game too. Um, you know, I think it's, it's kind of hard to evaluate just because, you know, this isn't, uh, you know, an NBA roster right now. It's a mix of an NBA roster and a, a G League roster. And, you know, it's going to put more pressure on certain players to have to do things that they don't normally do. Like, you know, of course, Luca Garza fouled out. And I think Hamdi, he had seven turnovers just from handling the ball a lot more. So, you know, it's kind of tough to, you know, knock players what they're not doing right now just because they're having to do a lot. But, you know, I do think Hami is, you know, really kind of separating himself a, a bit, you know, just, you know, how consistent he's been, uh, you know, just being able to add that energy into the starting lineup, you know, just be a threat to transition, uh, clean up miss who, uh, buckets. Uh, he, had, he had 28 points, I think, on uh, Sunday. Uh, shot like 13 for 19. Uh, him and Luca, I mean, really, uh, you know, this is a great opportunity for them to, uh, you know, just get minutes they won't always get, you know, take shots they won't always be able to take. 
uh, yeah, yeah, those are certainly two guys right now that, you know, I think they can kind of seize this moment. And uh, once the Pistons do return back to normal, uh, maybe they could be in a position where, you know, now they can show, you know, hey, even later when some of the key guys are back, I still deserve minutes. Uh, you know, Sadiq and, and Frank, uh, they were a bit more inefficient on uh, Sunday, which, you know, again, uh, you know, I just think it's hard to uh, play basketball with the position they're in right now. But uh, Sadiq, too, I mean, he had, he had 12 free throw attempts. That was a career high. Uh, he had a career high 10 free throw attempts just a few games ago. Uh, everybody knows he was stopping to start the season. But just to see him get to the line more, find different ways to be effective, uh, I think it's key for him. Um, you know, he's, he hasn't been a player that's gotten to the line a lot, you know, just in a year and a half he's been in the league. But uh, for him to increase his attempts at, at the line, I think it's something that uh, that's something that makes Jeremy Grant really good. You know, he's one of the top, you know, 13, 14 guys in the league in free throw attempts uh, per game. And it would be really big for us to deke if this is something he can sustain going forward, I think. Yeah, so you brought up Hami, and I think one thing that's been really impressive with Hami this year is he's he's taken advantage of his opportunities since the beginning of the year. So early in the year, he was getting minutes. I think he played in five of the first six or six of the first seven, and he wasn't that stretch, and Josh Jackson started getting the minutes, and then you know eventually the decision was made to get Hami back in the lineup, and you could see him really trying to take advantage. It wasn't necessarily showing up in the box score, and then as he's continued to get more comfortable, we've seen it. And then like you said, you know, 28 points on 19 shots. He did have the turnovers, but I think we're seeing from Hami what maybe he can bring to the table. Obviously, it's not going to be in the role we saw on Sunday night, but you know, playing off of the other players, Cade Cunningham, Sadiq Bay, Killian Hayes, those guys. But you brought up Luca Garza, so I want to ask what you've seen, you know, as this leads us into maybe the guys getting a chance right now that wouldn't have otherwise got a chance had it not been for the COVID outbreak. What have you seen? Like you talked about Luca Garza. I have my, you know, some I don't want to say strong opinions, but I have pretty strong opinions on him defensively. What have you seen from Luca Garza offensively, defensively, all around game? Yeah, I think he's the player he was advertised to be. Uh, just after you know, especially his last two seasons at, at Iowa, you know, we all knew that he's really a guy that can can score. Uh, he's got a very diverse offensive game, and he's got some significant question marks on defense. And that's just who he's been in the NBA so far. Uh, you know, of course, he had a career high twenty points on uh, Sunday. Uh, he knocked out a couple of three-pointers. You know, he could clean up the rim. Um, there's no questions about what he could do on offense. Uh, the key for him is just being good enough defensively uh, to stay on the floor. And, you know, I think, you know, the majority of the games he's played in with the Pistons, he hasn't quite been that. And he's aware that, you know, defense is the area he has to improve on. He talks about it a lot around the time of the draft. Uh, he seemed like he was pretty frustrated with himself after Sunday's game because he fouled out. Uh, it seems like there was some miscommunication between the refs and the Pistons as far as how many fouls he actually had. Uh, the Pistons believe he had five when he fouled out with about 8.30 to play. And uh, they said they had to go back and review what happened. I'm, personally, I'm, I'm not sure what happened. I thought he had five as well. Um, but And it was a tough game, too. Like, I don't want to make it seem like, you know, it was just look at Garza. He wasn't getting it done on uh, defense. I mean... Uh, you just look at at the roster, and that was going to be a challenging <laughs> a challenging game for any big man. I feel <laughs> yes, so. Yes. You know, I don't want to put that out on Luca Garza, uh, but you know, but he does have to improve defensively. He's got to you know read situations a little bit faster. He's got to move a bit quicker. And I don't know if he's ever going to be a plus on that end per se, but you want to get him to the point to where he can at least give you 10, 15 minutes a night. You know, uh, spacing the floor, getting his offensive rebounds, and you're just not getting absolutely crushed on. Uh, defense, and that's the key for him. He doesn't have to become really good bear, but you just want him to become at least close enough to average to where you know you're not holding your breath while he's out there. Uh, so again, I don't think you know Sunday was fair for him just because he was being asked to do a lot. 
but that was the word of coming into the league and uh, that's still pretty much the word right now. But he can't score the ball and, you know, his team does need scoring, so he can't give you something right now. Yeah, I agree. Offensively, he does a couple things I really like as a big for this team. One, he screens well. And I think he rolls well. Now he's got to find a way to finish because obviously he's not going to be a huge lob threat, but I do like him in screen and roll. And then he can space the floor. You know, he hasn't shot it like just incredibly well from three, but good enough where you can see guys are going to give him respect. I think you said it perfectly defensively. I think right now he is a negative and I know the defense in general wasn't good on Sunday night against the Spurs transition rotations, anything. I get it. Nobody was good defensively. I thought even Hami was a little worse than normal because he had so much focus offensively. But I do think Luca has to find a way to where he's at least neutral on the defensive end. And then that offensive uh, positive really is able to stick out. But I want to ask about the other guys. This, you know, we, we put out the, the mailbag request for you and we have two that will come a little bit later. But these kind of fit right into what we're talking about now. So this is from Cool Calm Mike and then also from Steve Pelletier, who writes for Detroit Bad Boys, does amazing work. Make sure you check his stuff out. And they both kind of ask the same question. Are any of these young guys going to, or other guys going to stick? These guys that have came up from the G League, from the Motor City Crews. If there's one of these guys that maybe you've been impressed with, I'll, I'll ask it to make it a little bit easier for you, Amari. Is there any of those guys, the Derek Waltons, Check Diallo, Cassius Stanley, we saw Savridis back with the Pistons, Pickett, any of those guys that you really like or think have a true chance of sticking with the Pistons? Uh, the short answer is not necessarily. Uh, I would say if I have to pick a guy that I think has the best chance, it's probably Pickett. Uh, just because he get he does give you some size and he does give you some 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 shooting, and you know I think those are two areas the Pistons kind of need help in this season. Uh, they're still the worst shooting team in the NBA from three, and that's gotten better in recent weeks. And it's tough to you know knock them for that now, just because most of their best shooters are out. Uh, but you know just from a, a, a size and shooting standpoint, I think Pickett has the best chance. Um, you know I think just you know from a long term you know which of these guys kind of coming and help standpoint. Um, you know, this is something I think we're going to talk about later as well. But uh, the Pistons really just need size, you know, especially with Kelly Olenek out. Uh, they don't really have a, a a true rotation player on on the roster who's taller than six eight. Uh, you know, you have Isaiah Stewart. You know, you have Garza who you know could give you some buckets, but doesn't really give you what you need on uh, defense. And what they really need is just a guy who can, uh, you know, I think just you, you talk about guys who can vertically space the the floor, um, you know, but also protect the rim as well. And those guys typically earn in the G League because they're on NBA rosters, um, you know, and that's not something that, uh, you know, I, I don't think they're going to get from, you know, a guy like uh, Chuck Diallo, although I do think he has some uh, good moments over the last couple of days. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I think Jamarco Pickett probably gives you the best combination of size and uh, shooting that this roster lacks right now. So I want to ask you about one more player that we saw had a big game um, before he entered uh, COVID protocol as well, and that's Trey Lyles. And and I want to ask you about Trey Lyles, Amari, because I feel like he's a very polarizing – I don't even know if he's polarizing. I would say 90% of Pistons fans don't like Trey Lyles. They don't want to see him on the floor. And, and I would probably lean to be the, the 10% side where – no, like I don't go crazy about Trey Lyles and I'm not sure there's a long-term future, but I think he does fine. Like if you look at the numbers, he's one of the better rebounders on the team. He's playing out of position. He scored the ball in the absence of those guys whenever they needed him to. Um, he does take too many shots and is a little too aggressive for me whenever the team is fully healthy. But in general, I don't mind Trey Lyles. Um, where, where do you stand with Trey? Like, do you see any long-term future with Trey Lyles? What do you think the end game is with Trey Lyles? And what, what have you liked or maybe not liked from his game so far this season? 
For sure. Uh, well, I would say that I think the fan base has been unfair with Trey Lyles just because a lot of what they're mad at him for not doing are things that he weren't signed to do. Uh, he's playing out of position as a center right now. And, you know, the Pistons, I think, going into the season expected that uh, maybe in a, a game where, you know, Isaiah Stewart gets into foul trouble, you may have to play Trey Lyles at the five in spurts. But, you know, I don't think anyone thought that he would be uh, pretty much almost a full-time center, uh, really just Kelly Olenek's injury uh, back on November 10th, I believe it was. November 10th or uh, 12th is either that Houston or that uh, Cleveland game where he got hurt. Um, so some of the stuff with Miles is just, you know, like he's not a center, <laughs> you know, and, and some of the stuff you need your center to do, he's not going to give you uh, because that's not the type of player he is. Uh, now, there's been some le- legitimate gripes. He's been passing down shots uh, really over the last two weeks. And for a team that needs floor spacing and, you know, he's a guy that was signed to help them in that area. Uh, you know, when you're passing down open threes, I mean, that's not good. Uh, uh, you know, Rex, you know, the uh, assistant coach who's been filling in for Dwayne over the past week or so, uh, kind of joked uh, before that Miami game where Trey scored 28. Uh, he he uh, joked to said before the game, he told Trey that uh, if you pass on any shots, I'm going to bench you. <laughs> so that's something that the coach staff has been aware of, too. Uh, but all that aside, I think Trey's been fine. You know, I don't think he's been bad. I don't think he's been amazing. I think he's just been fine. Uh, you know, they signed him to a pretty inexpensive deal. And I think relative to his contract, you know, he's given the Pistons enough. You know, he's been a good enough shooter. He's been a good enough scorer. He's been a good enough rebounder. Uh, he's not going to give you everything you want in a center. But as far as, you know, probably your A for knife man on the roster, which I think is what he was signed to be, uh, you know, like I think he's he's been fine. And that game against Miami last week, uh, he scored 28 points, eight rebounds, four blocks, uh, seven to 13 from the floor, three, seven for three. Uh, you know, it's kind of on the higher end of what he can give you, right? But he is a guy that can score. He can heat up a little bit. Uh, I think he's been a little bit better. Like we've seen him, uh, you know, like a, a, a tight closeouts here and there. Like he has a little bit more finesse to his game than I think I expected. And, you know, once the team gets back healthier and he's playing the role he was supposed to play, uh, I think we'll probably see the fan base lighten up a little bit. I agree. I want to ask about a few guys that are, you know, injuries. And then I guess Coach Casey isn't an injury, but, you know, I, obviously you talked about Coach Rex filling in for Coach Casey. And I don't know how much you can tell us. You may know more than you're able to, but obviously Coach Casey hasn't been going on the road. I don't know if you know if he's planning on coaching the home game on Wednesday. I think there's a, a two-game homestand for the Pistons coming up. So can you just give us some quick updates maybe on Coach Casey and whether we'll continue to see him only coach at home or is it going to be extended even with home games and then also Isaiah Livers who I think a lot of people were hoping we'd see play with um, all these other players out and then where Kelly Olynyk might be with his injury so coach Casey Isaiah Livers and Kelly Olynyk. yeah so Casey uh, not much to talk about on on that front uh, the uh, team they designated him, uh, him out uh, personal reasons not COVID related uh, you know we have seen him miss I believe the last four road games you know i would think he would be uh, at the lca on wednesday but we'll just have to see and it doesn't sound like this is going to be a uh, long-term permanent thing i know rex uh you know i think before the the uh indiana game which was the first game he coached said that you know it's more so day-to-day uh, so that's a little bit more of a, a tbd um as far as isaiah livers yeah he did make his uh, season debut against indiana uh, i don't think he played a lot probably only like five minutes but uh the team's explanation for him is basically that he's just getting his conditioning back up. 
um, after missing so much time. I mean, he had pretty much been away, um, you know, from basketball since he hurt his foot uh, when he was still with Michigan back in March and uh, still had a lot of five and five under his belt. So I think the team's just playing the, uh, the uh, patient approach with him, uh, not rushing him back into action before he's ready. And then Olenek, uh late last week was really six weeks since he uh, sprained his knee. Uh, we've seen him in a, uh, a knee brace around practice. And, uh, you know, it's actually been uh, probably a little bit over a week since we were last at the uh, PPC. So, you know, I can't say whether or not uh, he still has that knee brace on. But he was expected to be uh, reevaluated late last week, and the team hasn't announced anything. So I would think that there will be an update uh, for the next week and not the next few days. And obviously, uh, it'll be b- big for the team when he comes back. You know, just given how important he is on his team as a uh, a big man who can rebound and space the floor. Absolutely. I think that's one thing we've overlooked a little bit is how much time we've missed of Kelly Olynyk. now Jeremy Grant. Cade has missed time. Killian's missed a lot of time. I don't know how many games we've seen this team play, the, the full iteration of the team that Troy Weaver tried to put together. I'm not saying they'd be in the playing game. I'm not saying they'd be like just amazing, but we haven't really seen this team fully healthy for very many day- games and definitely not able to create a whole lot of chemistry. But you know, let, let's get into Cade Cunningham just a little bit. We don't have to dive super deep into it. Again, if you want to go check out my breakdown on uh, his December, month of December, go check out Detroit Bad Boys. I looked at that. Nothing to do with the shooting, but his on-ball gravity, getting in the lane, his defense, some of that stuff. What What have you liked so far from Cade Cunningham? Or let, let me let me change the question, Omari. What would you like to see Cade continue to improve for, throughout this season? I know, you know, like Miami blitzed him a lot in ball screens. And he only took four shots. And then the follow-up Knicks games he only took 13 I think some people wonder if he needs to be more aggressive looking for his own shot especially with this current roster what's something you would like to see Cade improve on as we go throughout the rest of the season so I think with young point guards there's always a filling out process when they get into the league as far as you know figuring out when to be in attack mode and when to kind of defer to your teammates a little bit and you know I think that's what Cade is dealing with now Uh, you mentioned he only took four shots against uh, Miami last week which was you know, a game that actually the Pistons ended up winning their first game in their last uh, 14, not a 14-game uh, skip before that game. So, uh, you know, they were they were doubling K at all night, trying to get the ball out of his hands. And, uh, you know, I think he had 11 assists, 10 or 11 assists that night. Uh, kept the turnovers a little bit lower. So he was just basically playing in, into the scheme. You know, his, his thing was basically, if they don't want me to have the ball, you know, just set, set up my teammates, get them going. And uh, that strategy worked. Uh, you know, I don't think the Knicks played him as aggressively, um, you know, uh, the, the following game, but then he ended up entering protocols, uh, you know, like right after that. So I don't know if he was feeling a little, uh, you know, f- fatigued or anything of that sort. But this team does need a player just to kind of command the offense right now, right? Um, you know, obviously Jeremy was that guy, uh, you know, before he hurt his thumb. And, um, you know, Kay came in, you know, he has, he has some pretty big scoring nights after, you know, I know he has uh, 26 against, uh, you know, Brooklyn and they played Brooklyn, you know, I thought pretty well. Uh, but the thing about Cade is that, you know, he isn't a selfish guy. Uh, he's not a guy that's going to think, you know, I just need to get dirty tonight at all costs. Uh, there are probably some nights when he, you know, he probably should do that, you know, especially with this team that's banged up and uh, young. Uh, so that's something that would just be ongoing for him. Uh, you know, he may not be that, that type of guy, and you know, and, and that's fine as the Pistons get more scoring pieces around him. 
uh, won't be as big of a deal. And it's a lot easier for defenses to key in on him right now because, you know, who are you going to dump the ball off to? You know, ideally, you know, Sadiq would be that secondary guy, but he's been a little inconsistent this season. So some of it's just Kate trying to make up for some of the deficiencies in, in the roster, which isn't his fault. But, you know, I certainly understand why people would like to see him be more aggressive as a scorer. And even if it's just getting to the line a bit more, he has like a lot of free throws this season. I think that could go a long way. Yeah, I I thought the same thing with the Knicks game. You know, I remember watching that game and just felt like he looked a little sluggish. And I'm not going to try to speculate, but obviously he did test for co- positive for COVID the next day. Maybe he was already, like you said, feeling it just a little bit. I know we don't know that for you know for fact or anything. Um, and I thought he maybe he just was trying to adjust and it was going to take him a little bit from Miami blitzing him and doubling him on everything, and then trying to change his mentality against the Knicks to score a little bit. And I think whenever we see a true score next to him, I think we'll see him even better. I don't know that he's a, you know, even in college, he wasn't necessarily a guy that tried to take the game over by scoring in the first half. A lot of time he would save that for the second half and in clutch time. But you talked about having a guy to dump the ball off to. So I want to go to um, a mailbag question or they're kind of work hand in hand from J-O-Y-O-D. Um, he put this in the Detroit Bad Boys comments and it's about Isaiah Stewart. And that's a guy that obviously would be nice if Cade had a big to dump the ball off to in pick and roll situations. So he asked kind of a twofold question. Is the reason the Pistons aren't more pick and roll heavy because Stewart lacks vertical explosiveness and you think there's talent for Isaiah Stewart in the short role as a passer. So essentially asking about Isaiah Stewart in the ball screen situations, what you've seen and where you think his progress can be. Sure. I think, yeah, I think that's part of it. Uh, you know, Isaiah's a guy, um, I think long-term, you know, his ticket to probably truly being a difference maker on offense every night is probably being more of a pick and pop guy. And he's not really at the point yet where he's comfortable taking that shot. And the coaching staff did, you know, tell them to take more toward the end of last season. And we saw them getting a lot more up. And they've kind of uh, reverted from that this season. And, uh, you know, they asked Isaiah to play to his straps, which, you know, of course, is rebounding, cleaning up around the rim and uh, so forth. And I just think this this scheme is a little bit more pick and pop heavy. Um, you know, I thought there were some opportunities on Sunday where they could have picked and popped Luka Garza more and they didn't look at him, uh, which is just, you know, like a young team thing. But, you know, I do think, just the way this offense is run, the guys like Olenek, guys like Garza, uh, you know, could, could get a lot of three-pointers up, you know, in long term. I think that's probably Isaiah Stewart's ticket, um, you know, to being a consistent offensive threat because he's not a guy that is, you know, like a lob threat. You know, we've seen Killian look for him for on a few laps this year, but, you know, I don't know if that's going to be a consistent part of his game. Uh, you know, he doesn't have the highest vertical and he's not – uh, he's a little small, right? You know, he's 6'8", so I don't know. That's something he'll be able to consistently do. Uh, so long term, I think if, you know, I mean, and he's actually shooting the long too really well this season. He just hasn't taken as many threes. So, you know, I'm not sure if it'll be like last season where, you know, over the last month or so, the coach staff will say, hey, go ahead and let him fly. Uh, but that's probably, you know, the key for him because uh, that would also make it a little bit easier for him to play power forward, you know, which is something that Dwayne Casey said last season as part of his long term uh, kind of developmental path. Uh, so, you know, I, I think, I think a lot of that's per, just personnel based, you know, the Pistons just, you know, looking at the roster, seeing what they have and then, um, you know, running the office accordingly. Uh, the second part was, you know, can he be a, uh, sort of like sort of a short road passer? Yeah. Yeah. That was the second part. So essentially still in the pick and roll, you know, do you see those passing skills developing from him as a short roll passer? He's had flashes, but you know, I think the recognition still has to be there for him. Uh, you know, I think that kind of goes hand in hand with being the pick and pop guy. Uh, you know, like I think if you 
if you kind of look at him, you know, as a guy that could be kind of like a, a, a bam who could kind of handle the ball, uh, you know, fine cutters and whatnot. Uh, that would be really good for him. But again, it's just him being able to recognize when to do it, you know, keep his head up. Uh, he's actually been, you know, in the few times he's do it, he's done it kind of surprisingly good, uh, you know, taking guys off the dribble and getting to the rim. So I think that kind of goes hand in hand with, you know, being able to kick the ball out to whoever's open. Uh, so, you know, it's just all things he needs to work on. You know, I think these are things he can add to his game over time, uh, just not quite there now. And, um, you know, I think having a guy like Kelly Olenek can help a lot too because, you know, those are all things that Olenek's pretty good at. So, uh, you know, maybe once Olenek comes back, you know, there's something he can work on with him in practice. Yeah, I think the shooting progression is what I expected to see a little bit more of from him in the pick and pop. You know, I don't think like I don't mean to repeat everything you just said, but the pick and roll success is going to be a little bit hard because of the lack of a vertical explosiveness. I really would be interested to see if he's going to be able to develop that short roll passing. Um, You know, like say we've seen it in flashes and then we've seen other times where he looks really uncomfortable. But if he could get that shooting progression that we all thought that was coming at the end of last season and hasn't really carried over yet. So it'll be interesting to see you through the second half of this season and with another offseason, hopefully without an ankle injury where he can continue to work on that. But I want to ask you about something just real quick. We're not going to dive into this as much as we had planned just for time purposes, but I did send you the tweet that I, um, the back-to-back lottery selections or the back-to-back top five selections that I tweeted out. I don't know if you had a chance to look at it. I know we talked about it a little bit, um, but essentially what I went through is I went and looked from 2000 on about back-to-back top five picks and kind of the success or, uh, you know, what's not success about those from 2000 until now because it looks like that's where the Pistons are headed. What did you think about that graphic? I know you probably didn't look super deep into it, but what did you think about that graphic as it looks like that's where the Pistons are headed? Sure. Uh, yeah, so I actually just put the graphic up now. And, uh, yeah, I did take a look at it. And, uh, yeah, it was just a history of teams I had back-to-back uh, I believe it was top uh, five picks. Uh, the history of it's pretty spotty. I mean, recently you had the Kings take De'Aaron Fox and Marvin Bagley back to back at 17 and 18. Uh, Fox obviously was a great pick. Uh, Bagley, uh, not quite as good. Uh, the Suns took uh, Dragon Bender and Josh Jackson back to back in uh, 2016. Uh, I'm sorry, Bender, Jackson, and DeAndre Ayton from 2016 to 18. Uh, Bender's a pretty good robot guy. Uh, Josh, they ended up trading after two seasons. And then, of course, Aiden, uh, you know, is a pretty good number one pick. Uh, you look at the Celtics, they took Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum back to back in 16 17. And uh, both of those were uh, great picks. You know, I think if you look at the 2016 draft, 17 draft, I mean, you know, Tatum's obviously one of the best guys to come out. You know, uh, Jalen was an excellent pick in 16. Sixers, you have from 14 to 17, Embiid, Okafor, Simmons, and Markel Foltz. Embiid, obviously, was a home run. I know it took him a few, few seasons to get on the floor. Okafor was a miss. Simmons, I'm not <laughs> going to say he was a miss. I mean, for a number one pick, he's been really good, but he's not going to be a Sixer. Uh, you know, he's probably, you know, for the next year, whenever they're able to trade him. So uh, I don't know what to make of that one, honestly. <laughs> and then uh, Markel Foltz. Uh, I mean, you know, just a bust. So I think the main takeaway from this is that drafting is hard, you know, and even teams that have had pretty good lottery luck, uh, you know, it's far from a guarantee that, you know, that's kind of going to get you out the NBA basement. Uh, you know, the Celtics, I mean, you know, Brown and Tatum are still their core guys, but they've had a tough time getting out of the NBA, the Eastern Conference's kind of middle tier, which I don't think is really all their fault. They've kind of had bad luck with Gordon Hayward and, you know, Kyrie not really jumping in the locker room and leaving after a year. Um, Suns, yeah, I mean, you you know, you probably 
you know, if you're redrafting on almost first two, you probably don't take Bender and Josh Jackson, but they did get eight and right. And after a long time in the NBA basement, you know, now they're one of the best two teams in the NBA and it's not close. Uh, so, you know, I think it, it just shows that drafting is just one part of the puzzle when you're a rebuilding team. Uh, you got to get the top picks right, but you also got to get those smaller moves right. You know, I remember, uh, you know, Cameron Johnson out of Pitt, you know, wasn't a super popular pick uh, when the Suns took him, I believe, in 2018. But he's one of their, their key guys now. Uh, you know, they traded for Michael Bridges. He's one of their key guys now. Uh, you know, both of those guys are uh, much better than Dragon Bender and Josh Jackson. And they were taken outside the the top five. Uh, you know, so I think the thing with the Pistons here, obviously you have Cade, and I think Cade is going to be a really good number one pick. Uh, you know, they're on pace to get another top five pick uh, in this year's draft. And this draft won't be quite as good as last year's, but still some really good guys at the top. Um, yeah, I mean, they got to get the picks right. But, you know, in the grand scheme, I'm, you know, that's just part of it. They got to get free agency right. You know, they got to make some savvy trades. You got to get those late lottery and other first round picks right, too. Um, yeah, like I'm looking at the list now. Cavs had, uh, you know, Kyrie, Dion, Anthony Bennett, and Wiggins. And, <laughs> you know, they finally figured it out this year. They're a pretty good, you know, playoff bound team. None of those guys are on the roster, like not one. So, you know, like, there's a lot that goes into it. You know, getting lottery lookers is one part of the puzzle. Yeah, that's what, you know, I think it was Charlotte was the one that people kept bringing up to me after I tweeted this out. Um, and if you want to go check out my Twitter, I don't know, this was a few days ago. I had a I had a morning where I could spend a little bit of time on it and just threw it together, um, you know, threw a little bit of work on it. But, you know, Charlotte really missed. But, you know, obviously the Thunder, you know, back to back to back with KD Westbrook and James Harden is the big one. But if you just look at the number of all-stars with the team, that they were drafted by it's just not that not that much so I think it just like you said it it shows that just because the Pistons are going to land another top five pick in the upcoming draft it's it's not a sure thing and there's a lot of other moves that are going to have to be made the Jeremy Grant decision which we'll talk about here in a second but before we get to that I want to ask one more question and that's uh, what has been more fun or easier and you can answer it whichever context you want Amari to cover this year's team or last year's team and just a little bit of context you know last year you had the Blake and Derrick Rose moves the team was a little more competitive early on but you didn't have Cade Killian was hurt Stu and Bay are exceeding expectations and then this year you have Cade Bay not as efficient so like now these second year guys are taking some heat the team's not quite as competitive which team is has been more fun or easier to cover with storylines uh, I, I think this season's been a lot more fun by far and it's more so just from like a lot of the parts of the job that you know fans don't really see or probably are aware of um you know like last season was my first season uh, my first day covering the Pistons was April 6 2020 so it was in the beginning stages of the pandemic and there was no basketball being played at all and no basketball we played at all until August and for the Pistons, not until December. Uh, so there was sort of just kind of like this very long period of just wondering what was going to happen uh, before I actually got to the season part. And then even then, uh, you know, just from a coverage standpoint, uh, you know, that season was just, you know, tough uh, just because there, there were so many restrictions. You know, we weren't going to... Uh, you know, practice, you know, there was no locker room access. Uh, there's still no locker room access, but a lot of stuff has just been eased this season. Um, we weren't traveling, you know, we weren't doing any press conferences or talking to anybody in person. It was all through Zoom. So just a lot of the ways that, you know, we're able to get to know uh, people on the staff, you know, people behind the scenes, the players themselves, uh, we didn't really have access to, 
And that just made it, a, I think, a, a, a tough season, you know, just because I'm coming in. And uh, in a lot of ways, it, I think you just kind of feel handcuffed because uh, you're, you know, you're covering a lot of people you haven't met, you know, you don't really know. And uh, I guess it made it so much better or somewhat better just because you did have a new front office come in and whatnot. So that even is a playing field to an extent. But, you know, like just, you know, the people on the training staff, front office people who have been around for a long time, uh, you know, I'm not really seeing or meeting those people in person. And I've been able to do a lot more of that this season, uh, being able to travel, uh, you know, being able to, you know, see and talk to guys in person at practice or, uh, you know, whatever it, it may be. Uh, and that's for me, it's just made the, the job a lot easier. It's kind of opened some doors that weren't really open last season. Uh, so from a storyline standpoint, you know, I think last season had a lot more going on. Uh, you mentioned Blake Griffin and, you know, Derek Rose being traded, you know, it's your run of a new regime that by Trey Weaver uh, it just seems like there is something new happening every month. And from that standpoint, you know, from a, or maybe from a fan standpoint, it's a bit more interesting than watching, you know, this year's team uh, with the NBA's worst record, uh, they haven't been quite as competitive and maybe expectations were higher with K coming in and those expectations haven't been met. But from a beat writer standpoint, I would say that this season has been much better by far. And, you know, just from a day-to-day standpoint, you know, I think it's just been easier to get to know people, uh, you know, just tell certain stories. And uh, it's felt a lot closer to what a normal season would be. So uh, I would say this actually kind of feels more like a real first season for me than last season did just because, I'm actually out and about talking to meeting people and not just doing everything on uh, Zoom or via phone. That's interesting. I, I would not have thought of that perspective. So I'm really glad that that we asked you that question. Wes, the producer that does the outlines, he came up with that one. And I was really excited to hear your answer, but I wasn't sure that I thought that was going to be the perspective and the answer you gave. So that was really cool to hear you talk about that. We have two mailbag questions we chose from what we got on Twitter. So I want to get to these kind of quick here, Omari, so we can still play Sheet or Sham for the last 10 minutes. So we'll, we'll keep these a little bit short and I'm just going to have you answer. So the first one is from at Ace Max on Twitter, and he says, would Jeremy Grant take the four-year $112 million extension he is eligible for from the Pistons? Do you still think he would prefer to stay in Detroit if Cade pushes him to be the second option on offense? Well, you know, I think we could probably assume that at some point this will fully become Cade's team. Uh, you know, Jeremy's been more of a number one option uh, this season, but, you know, long long term, you know, the Pistons drafted Cade. He's the number one guy. You know, I think he's uh, he has all the tools to become that type of player. Uh, you know, so I think the question the organization has to figure out right now is, you know, how does Jeremy Grant fit into that? Uh, you know, because the team is probably going to finish with a worse record this year than they did last year. Uh, you know, Jeremy came here to bet on himself, and I think that game was paid off. You know, I think he was second in the most improved player race last season. Uh, he certainly outplayed his contract, you know, that three-year, $60 million contract. Uh, he's been much better than that. And as you mentioned, he's due for a pretty big race. Uh, so for the Pistons, I think just from a timeline standpoint, you kind of have to figure out, you know, how Jeremy Grant fits, and Jeremy Grant has to figure out, okay, you know, he's two years from from you know turning thirty, uh, he is due for a, a pretty big raise. Uh, you know, I think there's just questions on both sides as far as how does that look like, and you know, some of those things still have to you know play out. You know, there's been a lot of rumors out that you know Jeremy Grant's one of the most desired players in the league. And there's, you know, I think uh Beach Report reported that there's expectations from rival teams that the Pistons will move them before the deadline. I don't get the sense that the Pistons are, you know, just looking to move them at all costs before that February 10 date. Uh, you know, if they do move them, it'll be for a trade, a deal that makes sense for the Pistons long-term, meaning you're probably getting some sort of uh, desirable young player or, you know, pretty good pick back 
you know, I don't think they're just going to move them just to do it now, just because teams want them. Uh, but there are some things to figure out. Uh, you know, I don't, you know, I think Cade and Jeremy have not been the best fit. You know, that doesn't mean that it's going to remain that way. You know, I think that's something that they can figure out. You know, there's no reason why they can't complement each other. You know, Grant's a guy who can defend the space, the floor. Cade, obviously, is a, you know, he's got really good vision and pretty much does everything. So that's something that can be figured out. But, uh, you know, I think next season, in a lot of ways, is sort of a season that'll dictate you know, how this rebuild goes. Uh, you're going to have another top five pick. Uh, the Blake dead money comes off of the books. So you're going to have a lot of cap space and you'll be able to maybe do what uh, the Hawks did, you know, when they had cap space. And I think Trey was going into his third season where you go out and get a bunch of good veterans uh, to kind of fetch out the rest of your roster. And then you make a playoff run, you know, it paid off in the playoffs. You make a run and go to the Eastern Conference finals. Uh, you know, maybe that could be the Pistons do next season, or maybe this rebuild still needs a little bit more time to jail. Uh, but the reality is that, you know, Jeremy Grant's going to be an unrestricted free agent in 2023. And generally when teams are in this spot, you know, with a veteran who's about to make a lot of money, uh, you decide uh, we're not going to invest this much into one guy and we're going to kind of keep our ducks in front of us and see what, what we can get. So, uh, you know, that's something that still has to play out. You know, I don't think they're just going to trade Jeremy, you know, just at the first opportunity. And I don't think they're going to move Jeremy to a team he doesn't want to be on just because Jeremy and uh, Trey Weaver have a pretty strong relationship dating back to OKC. And even Syracuse, uh, you know, which is where Jeremy played and, you know, where Troy Weaver was an assistant coach over, over Bayheim uh, many years ago. So, you know, it's a pretty fluid situation. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they keep Jeremy into the summer at least. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I think those are all valid questions and it's certainly something the Pistons are aware of right now. Yeah, I think it's a, a, going to be an interesting development with Jeremy Grant because, like you said, I think he has obviously has a close relationship with with Troy Weaver and and Dwayne Casey, and so I don't think they're just going to send him anywhere. Um, but the Pistons are in a good spot where he still has a whole another year left on his contract, and they could you know hold on to him into to next season. And it's going to be an interesting offseason in general. So real quick on this final one, and then I'm going to bring in West for Sheet or Sham. This is from at All Things Pistons on Twitter, and he said, "Do you see Isaiah Stewart in a new like the Pistons?" version of a Charles Oakley Anthony Mason is that I think he's asking like as as an enforcer type player is that what you think Isaiah Stewart like I know he's kind of shown this already is that kind of the mold or the cloth you see Isaiah Stewart cut from I think he could fill that role just you know just from a personality standpoint you know we already saw the whole (laughs) situation with LeBron and whatnot and you know that's clearly a role that he doesn't shy away from you know we've seen him get into it with a lot of players really just in a year and a half since he's been in the league and, you know, that's just who Isaiah is. You know, I think he's a tough guy. You know, he's a guy that's not going to tolerate any disrespect. You know, it's a role we've seen past Pistons play. You know, I think Rashid and Ben did it. You know, I think we saw uh, Bill Lambeard do that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, by all means, sure. I don't see I don't see why, you know, Isaiah would, would you know, uh, not do that after he's already been doing it for a year and a half. Uh, you know, that's who he is. Pistons love him for it. Uh, you know, probably don't want him, uh, you know, doing what he did, you know, against the uh, Lakers a couple months ago again. But overall, like, that's who he is. He's a really, you know, passionate player. You know, he energizes the uh, team. And I think that's something he can do pretty naturally. Absolutely. I think it's just kind of his personality. And I think it fits very well with the organization. You mentioned some of the, you know, the history behind it, the organization, the city, the team, and all of that. And I think that's why he's going to continue to be loved by by the fan base. But I want to bring in our guy, Wes Davenport. Wes, lead us through Sheet or Sham here. Update the listeners on the score between me and the guests. And and Omari, I just for the listeners, Omari and I did play this um, the last time he was on, but we weren't keeping score yet whenever we did. I think Omari beat me 
Um, I think he got more right, but I don't think we were like keeping official track and all of that. So Wes, you'll go update us on the score right now and then go ahead and get us started. Yep, Bryce, so you have one win. Uh, the guests have two, so you got a chance to tie it. And uh, we'll be going through uh, the Knicks, the Spurs, and then some Pistons ones just for fun. So, uh, Bryce, I'll have you go first. The first one is Sheed or Sham. R.J. Barrett is averaging only 15 points per game this season. Sham. Yeah, I think that's a uh, – I don't think he's having a great season, so I'm going to go I'm going to go Sheed on that. It is Sheed. Yep. He's uh, last year, so he averaged 18 points per game. uh, But of the Knicks rotation players this year, his his field goal percentage is actually the third worst on the team. Um, The worst is Alec Burks, if you could believe it. But he's just over 14 points per game this season. Wow. I did not expect that. So what did you say he was averaging last year? 18. So he's dropped four points per game. The Knicks have been an interesting team this year. Real quick, Omari, what have you thought about? Because, you know, Julius Randle, also another guy that, you know, was huge last year. Everybody talking about him, giving all sorts of love. You know, hasn't exactly played great. I didn't think he looked spectacular against the Pistons necessarily. Um, what, what do you think is going on with the Knicks? I think part of it is just the East is really deep this season. You know, I think the East is, you know, probably the best it's been. I mean, uh, you know, I'm 27. 27 is probably the best it's been, you know, since I started watching basketball back when I was a kid. Uh, but, you know, it's been a handful of teams this season that haven't quite been as good as you would expect. You know, I know the Hawks have been kind of slow to come out the gate. You know, I thought Boston was going to be a lot better than they've been. And, you know, of course, you have, you know, guys who have, you know, got COVID and whatnot, and that's kind of hurt it as well. But uh, Julius Randle, like, he hasn't been quite as good as he's been last season. And, you know, I think the uh, book's out. And, uh, you know, I remember reading, you know, there's some red flags about his game last season. Uh, he really didn't have a good playoffs at all. You know, I think teams kind of keyed in on them, and there wasn't a guy on the roster that, um, you know, could really take pressure off of him. And we're probably seeing some of that. You know, R.J. Barrett, uh, you know, he hasn't been as great. Uh, you know, Derrick Rose, I mean, you know, of course, he's, you know, he could still put the ball in the hoop, but, you know, he's also – you know, past dirty and isn't a guy who could play a, a ton of minutes right now. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of nights for them offensively is probably just, you know, Julius Randle goes off. You're probably going to have a tough night. And just with how deep the East is that season, that's probably not going to win you a lot of games, unfortunately. Yeah. Kimball Walker's had a nice little five game stretch, though, uh, for the Knicks, you know, a 44 point game and then backed it up with a triple double and some nice games before that. I believe Derrick Rose is injured right now as well out for a few weeks. But all right, Wes, I think the next one is probably about the Spurs. No, so this one's uh, still on the Knicks, but it was okay. perfect because you guys were talking about Julius Randle. So uh, we'll have Amari, you go first. So Sheed or Sham, Julius Randle leads the Knicks in points per game, rebounds per game, and assists per game. I would guess points, and I would guess points for sure. I'm not I'm not positive about the rebounds and assists. I can see Emmanuel quickly or somebody else leading them in assists, and then you got – Mitchell Robinson, who's a pretty good rebounder. Uh, definitely points, but I'm going to go Sham on that. It, Omari talks me into it. I'm going to go Sham as well. It's Sheed. So he's averaging wow. 20 points per game, uh, 9.8 rebounds per game, and 5.1 assists per game. Okay, so I know it's scoring's a little bit down, but uh, yeah, I mean, but, but I mean, that's still a, a pretty good season, though, honestly. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. For all for all the talk we just had about Julius Randle, I guess he kind of threw it right back at us. So um, still having a, a, a solid season for the Knicks with his all-around game. So, all right, uh, it is what? One to, uh, one to zero. Omari is up right now. 
All right, last one on the Knicks. Uh, Sheed or Sham, Bryce, you first. Derek Rose leads the Knicks in individual net rating. Sham. I'm going to go Seed. It is Sham. Yes. So he has a net rating of 5.8. Obi Toppin actually leads the way with 9.7. Julius Randle is a minus 5.7, and RJ Barrett a minus 4.9. Wow, that's... Obi is kind of interesting. I'm, I'm interested to see how that continues to play out for him. So I don't mean to move us along, but I know we're running up against the time here. So uh, let's go ahead and get into the Spurs ones. Perfect. So uh, Bryce, you first, Sheet or Sham? Uh, Derek White is second on the Spurs in points per game. Sham. I'm going to go Seed because I think that uh, Murray is probably leading them in points. Yeah, Murray's definitely first. I know that. Yep. So it is actually Sham. Uh, White is averaging 14.4 points per game. Keldon Johnson is second with 15. Okay, yeah, they're, they're pretty close, though. That was a coin flip. Yeah, yeah. Wes is good about that, Omari, man. He, <laughs> he makes it like 0. 0.1, 0. 0.5. Like, he, he's tricky with these. So, um, I believe right now I, I took the lead. I'm up 2-1. So, we'll get on to the next one. All right, last one on the Spurs. Uh, Sheed or Sham? Omari, uh, this one's you first. Neither the Pistons or the Spurs have a player averaging over 20 points per game. I'm going to go I'm going to go Sam only because I think Jeremy was right at 20, but he may have fallen off right before, but I'm going to go Sam. I think Jeremy's at 20 right now. That's I'm going to go Sham for the same I actually know cuz I looked this up for my notes for the last episode, the instant recap. I know the Spurs don't have anybody, but I feel like Jeremy's got to be over 20 still. So I'm going to go Sham as well. You're both right. It's Sham. Right. Uh, Jeremy Grant, 20.1. There we go. Yeah, I thought it was close. He had to play in a couple of weeks, but I remember him being right there at 20. So, all right, there we go. Yes. All right. Okay, so now you got some Pistons ones for us to finish this out, Wes? Yes, I do. Uh, and what's the score, Bryce? It, the score is I've got three correct. Omari has two correct. So how many questions, how many do we got left? We got probably have time for two or three if you have that. We have uh, two left and there can be three. Okay, let's do. Let, let's try to stick it to two, and then we'll. If we have a tiebreaker, if we need a tiebreaker, we can do that. Yeah, some enough for me for a comeback. So, that's all we need. <laughs> okay, perfect. Uh, Bryce, you first. So, Sheed or Sham? Killian Hayes is second on the Pistons in stocks per game behind Jeremy Grant. Sham. I'm also going to go Sham because I think K is probably number two. Yeah, it's Sham. It's sham. So Grant has 2.2 stocks. Cade has two. Killian is third, though, with 1.6. And then Stewart and Saban Lee are tied at 1.5. I mean, Trey Lyle's been blocking a lot of shots recently. Yeah, he might be a dark horse for this if he gets <laughs> this in the next month or so. All right, next one. So this is our final one unless we get a tie here. Um, so I'll let – I mean, obviously, we're going to answer this opposite. So I'll let Omari go first. Okay, sounds good. So, Omari, Sheed, or Sham, Sadiq Bey leads the team in second-chance points per game. Ooh, hmm, that's a good one. That is a good one. I'm going to go Sheed, just because my inclination is to say Sham, but the fact that you asked it makes me think it's true. <laughs> I love I love how Omari said I I think it's Sham, so I, I'm cool staying with Sham. It's Sheed. There we go. <laughs> Sadiq Bey is averaging two per game. Stewart is uh, tied with Cade uh, for second at 1.8. Wow. All right, so, so we're tied. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you have a tiebreaker, Wes? 
I do. All right. So this one's a uh, Christmas Day one. It's about uh, the Pistons. So some quick background. Uh, they have the Pistons haven't played a Christmas Day game since 2005. The Pistons' first Christmas Day game was uh, the second year the then BAA played on Christmas. And the Knicks and 76ers are the most common Christmas Day matchup. Uh, they've played each other 12 times, most recently in 2017. So uh, we'll have Omari go first on this one. Sheed or Sham, the Pistons have the third most losses total on Christmas Day. Hmm. Well, one, how many Christmas games would they have played? Like... You probably had a few in the mid two thousands, but I'm also not super familiar with the history of the Christmas game. They could have some in the eighties, but I'm not sure. This is a complete shot in the dark. I'm gonna go Sam. I'm gonna go Sam. And I'll go Sheed just so we have a winner. It is Sheed. Yes. Ooh. All right. <laughs> They've lost twenty two times on Christmas Day. Holy cow! So, do you have wow. the number of games that that Omari brought up? They've played, uh, I believe it was 35 times because they've got thir- they've got 13 wins. So, so 13 and 35. 22 on Christmas. Wow. All right. Thank you, Wes. That was fun. I know we had to run through it a little faster than what we normally do. Usually we, we take a little time to talk about each one, um, but I know we are up against it. Omari, man, thank you so much. I had a blast. I hope you had fun. I always have fun when you come on. Um, and I appreciate you making time for us. I know you're always a busy man. So um, definitely want to have you back. And I just want to give you a chance to let everybody know where they can find you and everything you're doing. Uh, no doubt. Thanks again for having me on. It's always a great time. Uh, folks, you could follow me on Twitter at Omari Sankofa. That's O-M-A-R-I-S-A-N-K-O-F-A. And you can read my work at the Detroit Free Press. And that's just F-R-E-E-P.com. Awesome. Yes. Make sure you go check out everything he does. He's one of the amazing beat writers for the Pistons, for the NBA in general. Um, again, he's a guy that I'm fortunate enough to be able to talk Pistons with, you know, even whenever we're not recording. And I am just so thankful that he's been, a, you know, allow me to do that and comes on and, and records with us whenever we ask him to. And so as I do to end every episode, I want to make sure I thank Webs Davenport for everything he does for myself and Motor City Hoops. We also want to thank all of you for listening to Motor City Hoops every week. I've said it before. I know the excitement around this team is tempered a little from the beginning of the season, but here at Motor City Hoops, we're not going to slow down our excitement or content creation around this team. We hope you are enjoying it and you stay with us throughout the rest of the season and into the offseason. Motor City Hoops will be back on Wednesday night or Thursday morning, depending on how early you go to bed, with an instant recap episode from the game versus the Knicks. Next week's weekly episode drop will actually be on Wednesday morning due to the schedule, and we will be joined by Chris Oliver of Basketball Immersion to dive a little deeper into the Pistons and the X and O's. Enjoy the rest of your holidays. Thank you for listening. Go Pistons, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor City Hoops podcast. Please give us a rating, drop a review, and subscribe. For more content, including video breakdowns, make sure you follow us at Motor City Hoops on Twitter. I hope you join us next episode. Until then, be safe and be well.